0: Madeline Daw spent five years searching for the secret to productivity only to wind up writing a book exposing our obsession with doing more. If you feel like there's always something else to do, you're never doing enough and your time is slipping through your fingers no matter how tightly you try and hold on to it, this episode is for you. I'm Ed Starr and you're on That's Helpful. Today we're talking productivity games guilt i cannot wait to get into this because i am the worst for this if you're just joining us if this is the first time you're joining us please remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and if you're liking what you hear leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcast i always refer to us it's just me i'm going to expose myself (laughs) it's literally just me here and madeline Dorr, of course and she is a writer podcaster and the author of i didn't do the thing today madeline your book is so cool thank you for joining me Oh, thanks so much for having me, Ed. It's a real delight. I'm so excited. So what what started you off on this obsession with people's routines? Oh, well, I, I think like many people, I, I felt this pressure
1: to be productive, to maximize my output and, and never waste a moment. Um, and so I was sort of feeling like I wasn't really getting it right and that I was falling behind and that there must mm-hmm. be some secret that I was missing. So I thought the, the best way to kind of figure all of that out would be to ask the people that I admired, the people that I thought had it all together um, and must possess that secret. And so I started a project called Extraordinary Routines, which was very much exploring um, the creative processes of people, uh, how they spent their time, what their days looked like, to really get into the nitty-gritty Um, of I guess what was behind their success. And it it wasn't before too long that those conversations actually revealed that I was asking the wrong question. So it wasn't so much how to be more productive but actually changing this obsession because even these very successful people I spoke to Mm. still felt like they weren't doing enough or had those days where you know the whole kind of thing just topples over or they don't get through their endless to-do list. And so it really became about kind of expanding our definition of creativity and productivity rather than having this really narrow kind of one-size-fits-all secret solution.
0: Why do you think we are so obsessed with productivity?
1: Well, um, I think that there's there's nothing innately wrong with being productive. I think it it means that we're doing the work. Um, It means that, you know, Often there can be this really constructive component in terms of we have this short life and we do want to seize the moment. We do want to make sure that we do the things that are important to us. And so productivity can be a, a great kind of asset to that. And it, but I think that we've made it the sole measure of our worth in, in this society in particular, and it's sort of really tied to this idea of progress and this more, 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 this linear upward trajectory. Um, and that's kind of what makes it this, this endless lurching forward and that's where we sort of never really kind of can keep up with ourselves. It's a hamster wheel. Um, and so instead of making us more productive, this obsession can make us more or it can leave us with feelings of guilt or anxiety or overwhelm or burnout um, so I think that that's kind of the, the flip that's needed is is looking for a more, um, I guess, accommodating measure for our days, one that's kind of acknowledges the ebb and flow in our energy, in our attention, in our resources that changes, you know, not only day to day but individual to mm. individual.
0: And so, you know, we, I've talked to a lot of experts on the um, – podcast about happiness and achieving happiness. And one of the things that um, it turns out is that obviously chasing happiness, in fact, (laughs) leads to the exact opposite. Do you think that's some of the same trap that we're falling into in terms of productivity and trying to like ultimately control time?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I think so. I think that that must sort of ring true for a lot of things in terms of Perhaps the things that we might be grasping for. Um, I've certainly found through my conversations with people, and even in my own, you know, endless experimenting, is that when I kind of let go of this, you know, expectation I might have of myself, or a standard, or a pressure, or the comparison to other people, that's actually when I find the space to actually do that very mm. thing. I think that's where you do find the happiness, or you do find the productivity in your own way, because you're no longer sort of um, I guess, feeling stifled by those other things, those expectations, comparisons and so on. Um, so I think that there's a sort of an irony to it, isn't it? It's like the, the more you let go of this idea of needing
0: to be productive, the more productive you can find yourself being. <laughs> One of the metaphors that I've heard is like, uh, it's like, you know, when we're desperate for to produce things and to create opportunities is that it's like, um, throwing a party and saying to people, um, you have to come to my party because if you don't come, I'm going to be devastated and nothing's going to happen. If you don't come, I'm really depending on you coming. Whereas if we're like, (laughs) okay, I'm going to hold this party and there's going to be great food and you are going to like, there's going to be amazing music and all these cool people are coming. Come if you want, like if you, if you want to come, why? Whatever you know, you're invited. But if you don't want to come, fine. Like you would always (laughs) rather go to the second party, right? Where nobody's forcing it and pushing it. I think that's quite a good metaphor for
1: life. I love that. I think I'm going to keep that one in mind because it it just it's so true in terms of I guess if there's any secret, which I really don't believe in this kind of one size fits all kind of hacks that might be out there. But if there's one thing, I think it's this idea of like what makes you feel good. What do you want to do? Um, And how can you make yourself feel good? How can you make yourself feel delighted by something excited by something um, and thereby increase your chances of you know wanting to go to that party because it's actually feels good to do so and I guess you know our days can be like those parties absolutely.
0: Yeah and and in the book you talk about um, trusting the timing of our lives what do you mean by that and why is it important? This one I think has has got me through so
1: many um, I guess wobbly processes like the the wobbly part of mm. of different projects and encounters and so on because I think that again we can kind of even set these timelines for ourselves that um mm. you know are unrealistic or or you know I have such a habit of you know finding someone i'm inspired by and then going straight to their wikipedia page to find out if <laughs> you know they're older or younger than me and then feeling devastated if they've yes. accomplished all these things <laughs> or i have and, and it's sort of these um you know it, it's it's really futile to do this because you know it really is about our own timing and our own timeline and and things unfold how they will unfold you know sometimes we actually need more experience more knowledge more insight before we can actually Take action. Um, there's such thing as you know precrastination, where we, by rushing into a task before we're ready, we can actually waste a lot of time in inefficiencies and mistakes oh, and so I'm the queen
0: on. Queen
1: of that, yeah. Well, it's it can be you know there's obviously something to be said for like jumping into things and learning and actually making those mistakes definitely can be valuable. But I think there's also something to be said for patience and thinking and. Even when it came to writing my book, you know, I really had to abide by this idea of trusting the timing of things because um, it it needed a lot of time to to develop in my mind. I needed the aha moment. And that's why I think there's a lot more ebb and flow to our working lives, to our creativity um, that we need to give space for.
0: On that, you talk about this idea of being sponge-like, you know, and allowing ourselves time to absorb things. Do you find that that plays into that, this idea of not rushing things and not being obsessed with working somebody else's timeline? Mm, Absolutely. I'm a big fan of sponge theory is what I like to call it (laughs) Um, in the
1: sense that, you know, we are like sponges in that we need to sort of absorb things we need to take in the inspiration we need to think we need to kind of have that space maybe you know even in solitude or you know um taking an in inspiration in in different forms in conversations in in art whatever it might be um but then we're also like sponges, in that we need the squeeze. You know, once we've done all that absorbing, that's when we can do the outpouring. That's when we can do the doing, the action. Um, and we need both sides of that. It's it's an important kind of oscillation. You know, if we absorb for too long, we can find ourselves in inertia. You know, and, and end up mm-hmm. feeling soggy. <laughs> Um, but you know, if we squeeze too much, then there's, there's actually, we don't have anything left in us. And I think that's where we can encounter things like burnout and so on, where there's, there's just nothing left in the tank because we haven't allowed for the, the other side of this. So I think that this speaks to so many things. It can be our work, but it all, can also be our social lives. I find in terms of sometimes we need that more open period. And sometimes we need that more closed period with ourselves. So I think everything has that,
0: has that ebb and flow. And, and you talk about this idea of like a work-life balance and the fact that we're all striving for it. But again, it's kind of a misnomer because, you know, to give to one end, you'll take to the other. You, you talk about this idea of wobbling with work-life balance. What is that and how can it help us to kind of get a new perception on what we're striving for?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's sort of, it's similar to that sponge oscillating between the two I think that you know we put this idea of balance on a pedestal but then if we inspect what that really means it can mean that our life is kind of stagnant and still you know if you think about kind of the pendulum just being balanced it's sort of there's no movement there we actually want that movement in our life and so I think that there's something to embrace about that wobbling um or you know you could call it balancing rather than balance um because those you know the different parts of our lives will always be in flux um and kind of working in you know different sort of I guess phases. Um, there's that beautiful description of the life stovetop burner in one of David Sidaris's essay Laugh Cookaburra, which talks about how in our lives we might ha- we've got four you know stovetop burners and one is our relationships and one is our career one is our health one is our um love life and you know often they're not all burning brightly at the same time you know we might even have to turn some off you know to sort of concentrate on the other and I think it's it's really that kind of balancing act um, you know I think it's it's very aspirational to think that everyone's got it all together all of the time.
0: Yeah and I love that you've talked to all these incredibly successful people and seen that that is just not true. And <laughs> um, you t- you talk about the importance now of rhythms rather than routines. What can rhythms offer us that routines can't?
1: Well, I think that a rhythm can very much have kind of that flexibility to it. So for me, you know, I really aspired to have the perfect daily routine Um, and, you know, would kind of draft out these big sort of elaborate schedules for myself of like waking up at five in the morning and, you know, exercising for an hour and every minute. Um, every portion of my day would be scheduled this way. Um, And, you know, then the day would come and, you know, I might sleep through my alarm. And so the whole thing kind of gets toppled over (laughs) and I just sort of, then, you know, the day is disregarded. I'm like, ah, I'll start again tomorrow with this routine. Um, Whereas I think uh, for me anyway, a, a rhythm just kind of acknowledges, you know, that there's this kind of ability to pick things up and and put things down and you can have an ebb and a flow. You know, there might be that kind of crescendo moment, but then there might also be the lull because it's a rhythm and it sort of acknowledges, again, these various sides of things. And so um, I think a rhythm for me just allows my me to adapt to each day and um, it can kind of speak to bigger rhythms or cycles in our lives. Like I've sort of noticed for myself that I kind of, have a very slow creative process so that means it can be months or even years of this absorbing period and then there'll be there'll be months and years where it is much more sort of active and so the rhythm changes um so I think it just becomes a little bit more malleable to our
0: our daily lives I love that and one of the things that you talk about um with routines is that often they can become ruts. so why is that
1: Mm. Well, they, they're so closely related, which is what I find interesting because, you know, we put the routine on a pedestal and and say that it can be the cure all for a lot of things. And, and mind you, like when we're in a good routine or a good rhythm, um, the days can feel really wonderful. Like we can feel like we, there is like a wonderful structure to that. And, and some people really thrive off routine. And I think some people are even more naturally inclined to routine than others. It's just that um, when we put it on a pedestal or say that it's something that everyone must aspire to irrespective of their circumstances or tendencies then I feel like it sort of can um work the other way where it makes someone feel bad for not having a routine when they thrive in other ways um so that's the, the pedestal version but the the rut you know that idea of being stuck um is often something that we chastise so we you know tell people to kind of mm. get over it move through it you know Um, but there's so much to learn from the rut and, and again, sort of going back to this idea of them being quite similar, if a routine is, this is a, a pattern, um, it can actually become this idea of, you know, if we're doing the same thing every day, that's almost like a groundhog day. And that can actually lead us to being quite stuck, um, which would then be a rut. Um, so that's when we kind of crave something new because, you know, what was once working for us is actually becoming tired or stagnant or kind of um, no longer inspiring us. And, and sometimes it's the very rut, um, that moment of knowing that we're stuck. Um, that alerts us to needing to change something in our lives. You know, sometimes that can be that moment of heartbreak um, and the rut that that lands us in is the very thing that inspires us to move cities. Mm. Um, So there can be something so enriching about that, So sort of actually being caught so that you actually know to sort of change direction rather than just Groundhog Day after Groundhog Day after Groundhog Day.
0: Yeah. And I think so often um, routines can be like the safety blanket that makes us feel like we're doing meaningful things with our time um, when in fact we're not, you know, like I, when I, before COVID, I worked in an office five days a week. And, you know, we'd go into the office, we'd get coffee, we'd like have certain times to get lunch. And, you know, regardless of what I'd done in the day, if I came home, it was like, well, I've been to work, so I've done something productive regardless of (laughs) what I actually did during the day. I think sometimes routines can kind of like be our safety blankets even when we're not actually producing anything meaningful.
1: That's true. I think that's similar to being on the, the busyness Um, hamster wheel isn't it it's like you feel busy but actually it's about asking what you're busy doing as well and whether that busyness is a way to avoid something else
0: yeah it's really true and you talk about this idea of splodge time which I absolutely love but how can splodge time help us to rethink the way that we spend our time or what or rethink the way that we see our time being spent usefully?
1: Hmm. Well, splodge time is very much a way to just acknowledge that time isn't necessarily this linear thing. Even though you know there's twenty four hours in each day, it. Can spill out in all different directions, and I think that we we know that in terms of how sometimes a minute can feel like forever when you're on the treadmill, um, or an hour can go by so quickly when you're you know with a lover or something. Um, and so it's sort of it's not as um, linear as we think it is, and yet we plan our lives as as if it is. You know, we say that we will you know get to writing our book when we've got that two weeks free in November, and then come November, we've already filled November (laughs) with different things. And so it's really about acknowledging that time is imperfect. There is no perfect time to begin something. It's really just about seizing whatever splod you have. And uh, I interviewed Becky Orpin, who's a very prolific um, artist and designer and does incredible creative projects. And she's often asked, like, how do you do so much? And so I put that question to her as well. And she just said that she actually uses whatever time she has. So if it's a 10 minute pocket or a 25 minute pocket, um, she won't just wait until she has more time later. She'll do something in that time. Um, and that those little pockets all add up. Um, and that's not to say that we need to seize every single spare moment, but more it's a reminder that we don't have to wait for the perfect time to begin something. Just, yeah, step into that splodge. <laughs>
0: I love that because those are so often the times that I would just waste Mm, like I'd just scroll on my phone (laughs) or like I'd think oh well there's no point in starting things now but you're right you know and and I often think like if we can take those pockets of time it kind of builds momentum throughout our day Mm. too right rather than letting it just frit away. I really exactly. like exactly. Yeah,
1: I think that it's really changed my writing as I've started to write more in my phone, um, just as I'm on the go rather than kind of feeling like I need this perfect space. So I think it works in that sense as well.
0: Oh, that's a good idea. So you'll you'll take those pockets of time and just start to write on your phone. Yeah, exactly. Just I write frequently, sort of observations
1: from the day. Um, and if I'm, especially when I'm editing, I like to kind of just pop it, the whole article into a little notes on my on my. Like I've got the app on my computer, so then it syncs to my phone. And then when I'm on the go, I can read it and edit it, so it doesn't, you know, sort of something to be doing um Genius. rather than yeah so and then it's not so overwhelming is it's it It's not we, is it because yeah. it's just like reading a text or scrolling you know I'm just
0: scrolling my own article it's, so it's I just this silly synod- little thing on my phone it's not scary <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. amazing I love that kind of on the same um strain you you talk about uh, indecision spirals and how this kind of overwhelm of choice that we have now can also Lead to you know us not taking advantage of our time. Why is that, and and what can we do to kind of overcome that that decision paralysis that is so familiar to so many of us?
1: Mm. Well, I think um, I I definitely refer people on to um, there's a passage in Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar which talks about the fig tree, and it's a beautiful quote to bring up if you kind of want to sort of be shaken from your own indecision but it just talks about how um, she sees her life sort of spanning out in front of her in the, in the branches of the fig tree um, and all the different careers she could have and relationships and lives that she could have and in looking at them all um, she's not sort of she's stuck caught in indecision um, and doesn't reach for any of those figs and instead sees them plop to the ground and rot. Mm. <laughs> so it's quite a stark sort of, you know, the consequence of indecision. We think that we are optimising things by, you know, going over every choice and writing pros and cons and trying to land on the perfect decision. But often the best decision is any decision that, that keeps us moving in a certain direction. Um, so I think it, it can be maybe perfectionism that keeps us stifled or this, this illusion that there's a right choice. Um, we actually won't know if whatever we decide is the right choice in terms of we don't know where it will lead. We just kind of have to sort of trust and, and yeah, I, th- I think just see that, you know, even if we get it wrong, we, we can keep on trying different things and um, just being open to that I think is really important.
0: I love that. Sometimes I think we have to jump into things before our brain realizes what we're doing.
1: Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, yeah, we can be stifled forever. And I think, you know, we get better um, at making decisions by making the wrong ones as well. So, like, even if th- this decision is a disaster, hopefully it will sort of inform something else in the future. And so I don't think anything is lost in that.
0: I love that. Yeah, it's so true. I always talk about this idea um, that I got of my friend, Monique Ross, who wrote the book This Working Life. Um about the fact that we should all be scientists in our own lives and the fact that if you're a scientist often when you're doing experiments you will want things to fail because it leads you on to what's going to be a success mm. oh beautifully put I love that isn't that good I really mm. like that I stole yeah. that and ran with it because I, I just was want like, the I'm, lab coat I now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <The goggles. laughs> I really like that and so you talk about this idea you know because I guess the thing that we're all driven by now and it kind of plays into that that indecision and that idea that, that, that there's so much available to us in terms of careers now and ambitions and things that we can do that have never been done before. Like, you know, all you need now is an internet connection and a computer and you can have a career pretty much in anything you want to do. Um. And, and the world has never been more open in terms of careers and, you know, the diversity of careers that we can do. But sometimes that can be completely paralyzing in the same respect as that, you know, that, that decision paralysis. So you talk about this idea of micro ambitions and how that can kind of help us to get over this stagnation and this overwhelm we all feel. What are micro ambitions?
1: Ah, this is um, borrowed from the brilliant Tim Minchin, the comedian, and his commencement speech that he did. And um, in it, he spoke about how um, he's not a fan of long-term goals. Um, instead, he's a fan of being micro-ambitious, which means just focusing on the next step in front of you. I love and that. by doing that, you're just focusing on the next step and you can just be open to what's in the periphery. And it's actually the periphery where, you know, exciting opportunities can actually come. Like the things that we can't predict happen, um, you know, not through the plan often, but through the things that sort of come our way through taking the steps. And I think mm. that that's what's so sort of wonderful is to hear that a lot of people sort of can even be surprised by their own careers. Um uh, like they sort of weren't planned out to be this way, but just by taking the steps and doing the next right thing, um, is where sort of they landed where they were. Um, so I think that that can be, yeah, a real antidote to this idea of, you know, having it all sorted out or finding the right decision, um, landing on the perfect thing. It's just really about, you know, I, I definitely sort of still feel overwhelmed by different ideas and paths to pursue, but, Lately, I've just been trying to ask myself, like, what feels most alive in this moment, um, oh, and taking the, the step in that in that direction, um, because yeah, that's really sort of tuning into you know, back to this idea of feeling, you know, excited and joyful and the things you want to do and the things that feel good. I think that that's what creates momentum more than feeling like you have to do something. Um, of course there's things that you have to do that you don't want to do, not to say that we should all just be, you know, people of leisure, but I'm, um, just advocating for this idea of like, if you're caught in that indecision, like what feels alive, um, what step can you take, um, and then follow that direction.
0: I also think that when you when you're doing the right thing um like those steps in your work or your life that might feel a chore in other areas just don't you know so like for example you know when I was been producing podcasts in Uh, for other organizations or previously in my career for things that perhaps I'm not that interested in, it's even felt like a real chore publishing them or putting them out or like trying to create content around them. Whereas for that's helpful, like I just always want to do it. It's just a joy, Mm. right? So it doesn't mean that you don't want to do the hard things, but I think when you're doing them in line with those micro ambitions, then it all becomes easier.
1: Mm. Yeah, exactly. And it can take a long time to find the thing that you want to do and all this is sort of a process of discovery and getting to know ourselves better and sort of not being so blinded by what we think that we should be doing um or have been told that we should be doing um Mm. so I'm really happy yeah that's a beautiful thing to hear that's you know you've found the thing that's like bringing that aliveness for you
0: for now, it'll For fade, now. Yeah. <laughs> Fade or change, or you know, expand. Who knows? <laughs> no, I'm teasing. It won't fade. I absolutely love it. But you know what we're like? We get you know obsessed yeah. with these things, and then it's like, okay, what's the next thing? That's not going to be this, but you know, um, and so we off. I know so many people. Like, if you're listening to this, you will 100 percent relate to this. But often, our biggest waste of time is worrying about wasting time, right? Mhm.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. The <laughs> surest way to squander time is to worry about wasting it. Yeah. Why is that? And how do we get over it? Mhm. Yeah, I think that it's um. it's it's definitely sort of the thing that can set you up for the the productivity guilt spiral is this idea of, you know, oh. you kind of you see, you know, you might be getting getting into the day and feel like you've wasted the morning. Um and then again, spend the afternoon worrying about the morning that you wasted. <laughs> uh, and so I think what's really helped with my own wasted time worry is really, um, it was actually this book by Arnold Bennett that I read um, and it was written in 1908. So it's it's sort of nice when you can see that these human foibles have been plaguing us for a little while, <laughs> 100 <laughs> years or more. Um, and in the book he says the beauty of time is that it cannot be wasted in advance. You can turn over a new leaf um, every hour, if you choose, and I think that really shifted something for me. This idea that we can't waste time in advance. Like, yes, you wasted the morning, but you don't have to waste the afternoon. Um, so I just try to sort
0: of tell myself to turn over that new leaf. I really like that. I really like that. And there's there's a quote in your book. I can't remember who it's from, but it's about um, the day being done. And just, li- li- you know, it's mm. along the same vein and just letting it yeah. go, like just accept that that's done now.
1: That's a gorgeous Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. It's, um, finish the day and be done with it.
0: That's it. I really mm. like that. It's, yeah. but we, this endless rumination and time where, you know, like if you're, it's just, uh, universally relatable because everybody does these things, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And it, it's just that I think that that's, it's not so much the, striving to be productive it's the striving to be productive and then feeling so much guilt and shame when we're not that's the the the, the issue and so it's just about like you're not going to be any more productive by berating yourself and so in those moments i i really think it's about trying to avoid that spiral and i think mm. we can do that through things like curiosity oh here i am wasting the afternoon again like <laughs> and just kind of sort of trying to like even inspect what the circumstances are like is it that I'm wasting the afternoon because yesterday I worked 14 hours or, you know, I'm in a particular part of my menstrual cycle if I have one. And there's just so many factors with our bodies and our minds and our, you know, diversities of all kinds that, you know, impact our productivity levels that we just ignore. So I think it's, um, yeah, getting curious and, and sort of that kindness to ourselves as well and acceptance. I think, again, back to what we were saying before about how that can be the very thing that helps.
0: It's so true. And do you think that guilt is always a bad thing or can it sometimes guide us to the thing we're meant to be doing?
1: Uh, Well, Ed, I think, yeah, it's safe to say I'm a bit of a fan of, you know, nuance and light (laughs) light and shade with all things. So I think that even guilt has its purpose and I think it's the very thing that um, can alert us to sort of, learning about ourselves. And so even, you know, sometimes when I am experiencing that productivity guilt one day, it's the very thing that inspires me to get up the next morning and actually do something. So it, I think it can be a guide um, to sort of, I, again, asking those questions and getting curious and and maybe alerting it to us to, like, where our lives might be um, misaligned and so on. So I think everything everything has its purpose. Um, everything can have, you know, its purpose. Um, pluses and minuses it's just about kind of, yeah, I guess knowing knowing us,
0: listening to ourselves. Yeah, and I guess that's the thing, right? That's the whole thing. The whole deal with routines is that they these kind of external self-imposed scaffolding when really in actual fact to know how we can spend our time in a more fulfilling way, we kind of have to go internally rather than build these things outside of ourselves.
1: Yeah, I think so. And it's a lot slower work than, you know, a green smoothie recipe would believe.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. So I know you are a collector of quotes and you absolutely adore quotes. Do you have one quote that you want to leave us with that, you know, kind of epitomizes um, how we can ease ourselves of productivity guilt?
1: Oh, gosh, I think that's an it's an impossible question um, because I really am a collector. Like I've got spreadsheets of quotes. I've got um, Google Docs of quotes.
0: What about one idea around productivity guilt that's kind of helped you to reframe this in your own life?
1: Uh, I think it would be that there's there's no, you know, we can't recreate the same recipe when we've got different ingredients. So it's really about sort of, not comparing ourselves to other people and the kind of routines or lives or days we think they have. It's really about working with what we've got and finding what works for us.
0: I really love that. How many um, routines did you hear about before you were like, oh, it's not about the routine?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think it it was early on that I you know, it was sort of a handful of conversations where uh, the curiosity broadened, not so much to like what does your routine look like, but what are your stumbles in your day? So I found myself mm. a- asking more about procrastination and self-doubt and those kind of things. Um, and then I think it took a long time to kind of connect the dots, longer than I would have thought because I was still drafting those routines to myself for years and years and years. Um, mm. And so I think it was, it was really the sort of the clarity of seeing that um, – the chasing for productivity isn't making us more productive necessarily. And I think that that, um, yeah, just kind of clicked into place um, after, yeah, after years of just sort of inspect, finding the threads, trying to connect the interviews to broader themes. And that took a long time.
0: I love that. I really love that. Mm-hmm. But, um, an episode I did a uh, f- couple of episodes back with a guy named Mike Rooker who's an organizational um, psychologist. He wrote a book called The Fun Habit mm. and it's about scheduling in time for fun and how that in turn can make you more productive. And I think like the more I hear about productivity and, um, you know, being creative. It's like you can't approach these things head on. You just have to make a fulfilling life and then it all comes as a byproduct, right? Mm, Yes, exactly. I'd I'd have to agree 100%. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much for joining me, Madeline. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was such a treat. Madeline Door is a writer, podcaster, and the author of I Didn't Do The Thing Today. She's got a couple of podcasts too that I will link in the show notes. And of course, I'll link to the book so you can check it out and follow her on social media because I know you're going to want more of her work. I just love it. It's like a refreshing approach to productivity and this idea that we should permanently be creating and making and that it's intrinsically tied to our worth. I absolutely love Madeline's work and I know you're going to too. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, leave me a review wherever you're listening. It genuinely helps me out. And plus, I just like reading them. Okay. Thank you so much. I'm Ed Stott and I sincerely hope that's helpful.